Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. The Bible is the single most important book in history. It is the very words of God put on paper. In this podcast, we will walk through the pages of His Word as we seek to understand His message to us. In Isaiah 55:11, God says, My word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. As we study His Word, He will accomplish within us what He desires. That is our prayer. That is the journey. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Journey Through the Bible. This is Josh. Hey, I'm so excited about this episode, and I'm so excited that you are here uh, with me. Uh, If you haven't done so already, I encourage you to subscribe to uh, whatever uh, podcast provider you're listening to this on. Uh, Leave a review, leave a comment. Uh, I now have a Facebook page, uh, www.facebook.com slash JTTB with Joshua Smith. So make sure you head over there and like the page so updates and all that good stuff will, will happen. Well, we've been in Matthew. We are still in Matthew. We are working our way through the Beatitudes. Um, in Matthew chapter 5. So we're just going to start right off and read through the Beatitudes again. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today we are on the third beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now what is meekness? When I was younger, one of my brothers was just learning how to rhyme. We were at a soccer game one day for another one of my uh, siblings' games, and he thought he would choose that time to start rhyming words as loudly as possible. Well, he started with ditch. I'll let you fill in the blanks as to where he went from there. (laughs) Much to the shock of everyone around us to see a four or five year old boy saying what he did not know. Uh, Bring up meekness and oftentimes we tend to do the same thing. We jump from meekness to weakness. But as we shall see over the next few minutes, meekness is quite distant from weakness. Meek, it's not an easy word to define. Some define it simply as humility, which is not wrong as humility is an essential trait in meekness, but it is incomplete. Some define it as gentleness, and indeed that is how the Greek word for meek, which is praios, is often translated throughout the rest of the New Testament. A fantastic definition I was able to find in one of the commentaries I read in preparation for this episode uh, was as follows. It defines meek as an attitude of humble, submissive, and expectant trust in God and a loving, patient, and gentle attitude towards others. And so here in this definition, we see that there are two facets to, uh, to what it is to be meek. The first facet is there is a God-facing meekness, and this is an attitude of humble, submissive, and expectant trust in God. 
And this is the foundation and the starting point for us in our journey to be meek as Jesus is calling us to be. To be meek is to be humble before God. I love how there is so much play between these Beatitudes we are reading. Meekness begins with humility, and doesn't that sound so much like poor in spirit, which is the first Beatitude? Meekness begins with an attitude of humility before God, where we recognize our place and how small and insignificant we are before Him. Meekness continues in submissiveness before God, submitting our wills and our lives to His control for Him to do as He wills in us and with us. Finally, meekness involves an expectant trust in God. This is how we can be meek in the second facet, which is towards man. We're going to spend a good amount of time on this today as it is integral to us understanding how to be meek toward man, which is the second aspect of meekness. God-facing meekness causes us to receive the correction of the Word of God. James 1.21 says this, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. There is a teachableness, if I can say it like that. There is a teachableness to being meek in receiving the word of God. Acts 17.11, we see that in these people here in Thessalonica. It says these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 13 says this, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So here we just see a couple examples of people who are receiving the word of God readily, humbly. And this is a good description of what it means to show meekness towards God. But people facing meekness is not quite as simple. People facing meekness is having a loving, patient, and gentle attitude towards others. And this is, in my opinion, the more difficult of the two aspects of meekness. Being loving, patient, and gentle towards our fellow man, regardless of their actions and behavior. And the rest of our time today, it's going to be spent on this aspect. We can see a great example of meekness later in the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew. Chapter 5, verse 38 through 42 speaks of retaliating against actions done to you, even when done so unjustly. It reads like this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Here we have three actions and three responses. Someone is slapping me on the cheek, taking my tunic, and forcing me to carry their load for a mile. Now that last one, in the days of Jesus, this was reprehensible by the Jewish people of the day. Rome was an occupying force, and under Roman law, any Roman soldier could compel any person to carry their load for one mile. Now, the people of the day knew exactly how long that mile was, and they would not carry that load one inch beyond it. I want us to see here that Jesus is giving three descriptions of actions that could be identified as unjust, yet that does not affect the response Jesus is calling for. In every action, our response is not to be one of retaliation or revenge. Instead, we respond with patience. We respond with gentleness and grace, 
We respond to injustice, not with counter-accusations and revenge, but with grace and gentleness. That is an essential ingredient to meekness. It is accepting personal injury without resentment or recrimination or counter-accusations. And it is exactly in moments of injustice and struggle where meekness shines the brightest. We can look through the Bible, and there are numerous examples. I'm just going to pull out a few uh, to help us today. The first is Moses. We see in Numbers 12, verse 3, that the man Moses was the meekest man on the earth. And we certainly see that in the life of, of Moses. We see the humility in which he walked, the submission in which he walked before God, and the patience uh, with which he shepherded the children of Israel. Another great example is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We can find that story in Daniel chapter 3. And Nebuchadnezzar is the king, and he's rising up in pride, and so he decides to make a statue of himself, and he demands that the citizens of his empire bow down and worship this statue. These three young men of the Hebrew captivity, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow. In the face of injustice and death, by burning alive was the penalty for not bowing. They refused to bow. They remained true to their God and did not retaliate, but trusted in God. Whether or not he saved them in the temporal, because they knew God had already saved them in the eternal. Not, uh, not too many chapters later, we see the same for Daniel. In chapter 6, Daniel is faced with the choice to pray to the king, Darius, and live, or to remain faithful to God and face the lion's den, which in his mind would be certain death. He remained faithful. And just as the three young men, in the face of most certain death, he did not accuse or lash out, but he trusted in God and was saved. Jesus is a great example. And I don't know if I don't... I don't know when I say that tongue-in-cheek, there certainly is not a greater example of meekness in the face of injustice. Isaiah 53 and 7 prophesied, saying that's exactly what he would show. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its uh, shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We look at the gospel narratives as he was brought before Pilate and Herod and accused by the religious leaders of the day, and he did not respond with retaliation or anger or bitterness. We can look at the examples of numerous Christians throughout history who have been treated unjustly and responded in a spirit of meekness, not lashing out in revenge and counter-accusation, but in trust that God has everything under his control. And that freed them up to treat their fellow man with love and grace, regardless of their actions. Scripture is riddled with the concept of meekness. And God has given us promise after promise in, in relation to walking in meekness. In Psalm 149 verse 4, it says, He will beautify the humble with salvation. He has promised to save us. Psalm 147, 6 says, The Lord lifts up the humble. He has promised to lift us up and to sustain us. Psalm 25 and 9 says, The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. He promises to lead and guide us. And this is how we are able to live in meekness, by full confidence and faith that God is who he says he is and will do what he said he will do. We have seen a large part of meekness is how we react in the face of injustice. As I stated at the very beginning, many see meekness as weakness. But to respond with patience and grace in the face of adversity and injustice is not weakness, but rather it is a grand show of strength. 
First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 16, and then verse 19, it says this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Right, right off the bat, Peter is giving us the heads up that hard times are on the way. We can expect to face difficulties. We can anticipate being mistreated and reviled. He continues, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Right? We can rejoice, Peter is saying, we can rejoice in our sufferings because our hope is in Jesus. And in our trials, he is glorified. He continues, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Right? This, this corresponds with what Jesus says at the end of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5.11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. It is important to remember the falsely here and what Peter is saying. Right? If we're suffering as a result of our bad choices or, or, or suffering consequences for our actions, that's not suffering for the Lord. Right? Suffering for the Lord is something different. He continues in verse 19. He says this, Therefore, let those who suffer... According to the will of God, commit their souls to him in doing good, as to a faithful creator. Now, there's so much here in what Peter is telling us, but essentially what he is saying is, we are going to suffer for the sake of Christ. We will face hatred and vilification and spitefulness because of our adherence to the gospel. But through it, we can rejoice and we can stand firm because our souls are committed to God, who is faithful. How can I be strong in the face of injustice being done against me? Do I retaliate and fling accusations back? Do I hate and brood in anger? Or do I let it go and rest in the fact that my eternity is secure in Jesus? Thus, I can face any temporal suffering with patience and gentleness. We read here in Matthew 5 that the meek are blessed and one day will inherit the earth. This same phrase is used of the meek in Psalm 37:11. The meek shall inherit the land, is the way it reads in Psalms. Now, as I read Psalm 37, there's a wealth of content in that chapter that will help us get a grasp of the concept of meekness. I want to read the entire chapter. We won't exhaustively study it, but I want us to get the sense of a couple things. So, as I read, first I want us to focus on the contrast between the attitude of the wicked versus the attitude of the righteous. Second, the contrast we see in the temporal reality of the wicked versus the temporal reality of the righteous. And spoiler alert, it often seems to be in favor of the wicked. Third, I want us to pay attention to the end game of the wicked versus the end game of the righteous. And finally, I want us to watch God's response to the wicked versus his response to the righteous. So let me read Psalm 37 and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. 
Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Now, I hope you're able to see the contrasts in that psalm. And this psalm gives us such a wonderful blueprint for how we can live with meekness in our daily lives. And I just want to walk through a couple of those contrasts. First, we are not fretting over the temporal. We are trusting in the eternal. Verse 1 and verse 3 says, Do not fret because of evildoers. And then verse 3 says, But trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. We're not giving thought to the actions of the world toward us, unjust though they may be. But we are trusting in the Lord. We are looking beyond the temporal and we are focusing on the eternal. Secondly, we're not envious, but we are delighting ourselves in the Lord. Verse 1, and again verse 4, Don't be envious of the workers of iniquity, but delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. 
In the temporal, the world around me may seem to be prospering, but I'm not finding my satisfaction in the world. Right? My delight is not in the temporal, but my delight, my satisfaction, my sufficiency is in the eternal God. We are not concerned with the prospering of the wicked, but we are still before the Lord. Verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way. Again, our concern is not in the temporal, but in the eternal, which allows me to rest in the sufficiency of my Father. It also says we are free to be gentle people because justice, vengeance, and payment of wickedness belongs to the Lord. Verse 13 says the Lord laughs at him for he sees that his day is coming. Verse 17, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken. Verse 22, those cursed by him will be cut off. Verse 28, for the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. Verse 38, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. Right, So we see here that we can be free to love people and to treat people with kindness and grace and gentleness because all of the repayment, it belongs to the Lord. So we don't have to worry about it. So when we are being treated unjustly, when we are being hated, when we are being vilified, we don't have to worry because the Lord sees. But just as the repayment of the wicked belongs to the Lord, just so does salvation. Verse 40 says, The Lord shall help them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. You see, we are able to walk in meekness because of our steadfast and secure hope in the eternal salvation of God. Now, the promise is given here that the meek shall inherit the earth. Now, to the world, this is nonsense. It's not the meek or the gentle who inherit the earth. It is the powerful, the scheming ones, the wealthy ones who enjoy the bounty of the earth. But no, Jesus gives us, just as we saw in Psalm 37, assurance that though we may be downtrodden today, though we may be ridiculed and hated today, though we may be vilified and persecuted today, that is not the end game. There is a future hope for us that one day his kingdom is going to come in its fullness and we who patiently trusted and waited in him will inherit the earth. It is us who will one day rule with him and it is our ability to see this end for us that enables us to be gentle when we are hated, to be patient in suffering and to respond with grace when we are falsely accused. Right? This is not natural. It's not natural at all to walk in meekness. In Galatians 5, and 23, we see the fruit of the Spirit. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Gentleness here is related in Greek to the same word for meekness. So what does that mean? It, it means that it is impossible for us to live with meekness in and of ourselves. We need the work of the Holy Spirit within us to live this way. When we are falsely accused, we want to respond. We want to defend ourselves. We want to lash out in anger or indignation at the injustice being done to us. But the Spirit of God checks us and reminds us that our hope is not in the temporal. Our joy is not anchored in the here and now. But we look to the eternal. We wait in anxious anticipation for the vindication of the saints of God. We patiently and graciously look to the day in which Jesus promises that we will inherit the land. That is why living in meekness can be seen as sanctified response to injustice done against us. And that's exactly what it is. It is a sanctified response to injustice done against us. It is sanctified. It is holy. 
It is the Spirit living through us, allowing us to not focus on responding to what is being done or said about or to us. But I trust that the Lord will repay. And thus, in the here and now, I can respond with grace. I can live with gentleness. I can thrive in patience because my hope rests not in the temporal, but the eternal. I would like to close out by praying for us. Jesus, we are grateful for your word. We are so thankful that you have given your word to us to teach us, to guide us, to correct us. And God, I pray that you would help us. In the world that we live in today, it often seems that the wicked are prospering and and the righteous are not so. But Lord, we, we know that this is not our home. This temporal existence is exactly that, temporal. We know there is a future home, there is a future kingdom, there is an eternity awaiting us that you have provided for us, for those of us who have believed in your name. And so, Lord, may we look towards the promise of eternity and allow that to affect completely how we live today so that we can live in meekness. We can live in the humility and the gentleness of the calling to be meek in spite of any injustice or wrongdoing against us. Lord, may we place it in your hands. Imprint this word upon our hearts. In Jesus' name.